This is a story about a dream. A story that began with uncertainty. It's about people. It's about transformation. It's about moments. Only God moments. This is the story of Soul City Church. In 2010, Jarrett and Jeannie Stevens chose to follow a calling, a calling that could only come from God. The dream was to start a church that would transform a city through the love and grace of Jesus. Not just any city, one of the most influential cities in the world, Chicago, Illinois. About 2.7 million people call Chicago home, yet only around half the population belong to a transformational faith community. So the Stevens packed up their family and drove across the country with full knowledge of how tough Chicago winters can be. We knew that this church had to be about leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. And we knew that this church would be a church in the city that was for the city. But we had this idea from the beginning that the church really, it should be better seven days a week as opposed to just one. And, and it's a great idea, isn't it? Uh, but we didn't know how that was gonna happen and, and what God would do with it. By a string of unbelievable events, God provided a home for Soul City Church, right in the heart of the West Loop, a place that Soul City could inhabit, grow, and utilize to be the church seven days a week and not just one. And over the next few years, God would use Soul City to breathe life into a community needing hope. One by one, thousands of people from all over Chicago would not only be impacted by Soul City Church, but they would play a part in what God was doing throughout the city. And over the past five years, what was once a dream became a reality. Soul City's current home has been able to meet the needs of this growing church. And as we've grown in size, we've seen our hearts be changed by the love of God. We've found our own voice through music. We've thrown parties for our neighborhood just to show how love works. And as we've been able to celebrate with hundreds of people whose lives have been changed by Jesus, Soul City Church truly is fulfilling the dream and mission of being the church seven days a week. As we look back, we see the ways God has been faithful to Soul City Church. And now, we look ahead to how God will continue to grow our faith, grow our church, and be for the love. Hello, my name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. For those of you who are gathered here and for those of you in our overflow space and those watching online, I'm so glad that you were a part of this weekend. I love when we kick off a new teaching series, and that's exactly what we're doing today. We're going to look at what happens when we get about something bigger than ourselves, and we choose to be for something in this world greater than ourselves, and we choose to be for the love of God. I'm excited to be able to walk through that and to share some really exciting news with our church today. A couple weeks ago, our kids joined a uh, soccer league, a new soccer league for us. They love soccer. And so uh, there's a new league and it actually opened literally across the street from here. It's right here in our neighborhood. So we get to walk there. And the beautiful thing is it's an indoor facility. So when winter comes, praise Jesus for that. Okay. So <laughs> it's awesome. They can keep playing. And it's a really fun thing, but it's, it's also a little nerve wracking because they're going to have a whole new coach. And Gigi was a little nervous about this, about who her coach would be and whether she'd like him or not, and whether it'd be a boy or a girl. And so 
We got there and we found out that they have an amazing coach. His name is Coach Milos, and he's this awesome fan of soccer and an amazing coach. I think sometimes he's there to play soccer more than he is to coach. Uh, he'll steal the ball from the kids and go make a play. So we're, there's some of that to be worked out. But he is, here's the thing that I love. He makes it so fun for them. And that makes all the difference. He makes it so fun for them. And he, this blew me away. First night, the very first night two weeks ago, he had already learned every single one of their names and was calling them out by name while they were making plays. That's a good coach. And he would give one-on-one -on -one time with them and kind of help them kind of figure out. There's, our kids are thriving. They love soccer. They love their coach. He's such a good coach. This last two nights ago on Friday night, one of the kids was playing a game similar to soccer, but not exactly the same <laughs> on his own. And, and kicked the ball into the corner of the room. Now we're indoor soccer thing. And it hit a fire extinguisher dead on, fire extinguisher falls, explodes, shoots the white foam all over the corner of the facility. That all happens in an instant. And Coach Milos, without missing a beat, goes, all right, midfield, and just brought the kids in the midfield, and they just kept playing. Toxic fumes and all. They just kept playing. So he's a good coach. You ever had one of those coaches in your life before? That just, I mean, they just, they called something out of you because they spoke something into you. Or maybe it was a teacher for you. They got you. They saw you. And they, because of their words or their encouragement, what they spoke into you, you actually began to believe them. You, I bet you could name maybe a coach or a teacher or maybe a boss that you've had that just kept believing something in, into you until you began to believe it about yourself. I hope you've had a coach like that because we've all had the other kind, haven't we? We've all had the other kind of coach or boss or teacher that no matter what you did, it was never enough. It was never good enough. It felt as though they were out to get you, like they were against you. Have you ever had a coach or a teacher like that? I have. I have a coach in swimming. I swam competitively growing up. And in fact, I brought a picture from the glory days. Um, yeah. That may be the whole reason you came to church today, was just to see that beautiful, beautiful picture. You can see why Jeannie fell for me, obviously. And so... Uh, but my, this is right towards the end of my swimming career. And why did my swimming career end? Because I hated my coach. Because I thought he hated me. His name was Coach Harmon, but we called him Coach Harm. <laughs> we were 10. It was the best we could come up with, all right? I'm telling you, I can't, as I was preparing my notes and writing about that, I can't remember a time that he encouraged me. I can't remember a specific time where he said, well done or great job or anything like that. I remember him yelling at us. He yelled at us a lot. And the only upside to being a swimmer and having your coach yelling at you is that most of the time your ears are underwater. So it's not as bad. It's just like a, having an angry teacher from Charlie Brown yelling at you. That's really all that it was like. So I just, I, I lost the love for the sport. I completely, and I stopped because I had a coach that I thought was against me. It's, it, isn't it amazing to think about the power those voices can have in your life? They're very, very different, the voices that are for you and against you, but they actually have something in common. Both of them have the power to shape you. Both of them have the power to transform you. To the point that you begin to live into their words, either for you or against you. To the point that you begin to actually see yourself the way that they see you. To believe about yourself what you think they believe about you. They're very different, but they have that in common. The voices that are for us and the voices that are against us. So as we kick off this new teaching series, I want you to think about something. Just honestly, personally internally right now, as you think about God, what voice does he have in your heart? If you were to be really honest and kind of think about how God thinks about you, what do you think his voice is? Is it for you or is it against you? 
Because how you kind of view and what you determine about that is very, very important. Listen to me. What you believe God believes about you shapes who you are and what you do. I want to say that again. Thank you, Jeannie. I want to say that again. It is. What you believe God believes about you shapes who you are and what you do. It just does. And so is he for you or is he against you? Well, here's the good news. The Bible is exceedingly, explicitly, consistently clear about who God is and what he thinks about you and who you are because of what he thinks about you. And I want us to look at just one little verse. In fact, we're going to be camping out in one chapter of the Bible for the next four weeks. So I want you to turn there now. It's 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And I want you to turn to, uh, if you have a Bible with you, great. If not, grab one of these gray Bibles, and you can turn to page 857 in the gray Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, you can grab a gray Bible right in your seat in front of you. It's an overflow as well, or down uh, below your seat, there should be one. Turn to 1 John 4. It's page 857 in the Gray Bible. Let me give you a little context as we're opening up to look at just one of the many passages that talks about what God believes about you. This is written by, uh, this is 1 John 4. It's written by one of Jesus' disciples. Anyone want to take a guess which one? John. See, you guys are Bible scholars. It's not a trick question. It's the answer's in the title. Yep. So it's written by John. He was one of the first followers of Jesus. And in fact, he's the only disciple of Jesus to actually be a, a witness to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. All the other disciples had left and abandoned Jesus at the cross. John stayed. And he was there at his resurrection. John had a very unique perspective on Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus gave John a nickname. He called him my beloved, John the Beloved. I mean, that's as close as you're going to get to Jesus having a teacher's pet. He loved John. And here's the thing. John knew it. John got that Jesus was for him. And so when he writes, you hear that over and over and over again, that this is a God who is, in fact, for you. 1 John 4, verse 9 says this. This is how God showed his love. It's John writing. Now, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. John's making a very big point. He's saying, this is how much God is for you and how he demonstrated it to you. He sent his son into the world that through his death and resurrection, you might actually have life. In other words, what John's saying is, there is no greater gift given than the gift of salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God's already done it for you. And he goes on to make a very important point in verse 10. He says, look, here's the deal. This is real love. Not that we loved God. Hit pause right there. Not that you had to earn it. Not that you had to try and impress God or get his love or manipulate or make up for all the things in the past. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. That means the one who could pay the price for the totality of our depravity. He is the one who paid the price for our sins. This is how much God is actually for you. This is a fundamental core Christian truth. God is for you. And what's so sad in the world we live in today is that all that people seem to say is who God is against. The Bible's actually clear. God's for you. He's for you knowing him through his son. He's for you having a relationship with him because of the atoning sacrifice that Jesus did for us. God already showed you how much he's for you by sending his son to you so that you could live through 
him. This is a truth our church is built on. We would not be here if that were not true. We'd just be playing church and wasting our time. If that's not true, then there's no point to all of this. But this is a truth we fundamentally believe as a church. God is for you. God is for everyone. God is for everyone. Having a relationship, knowing him through his son, God is for you. Now, this is a really interesting concept that John is breaking down for us in 1 John 4. Because what he said there is, you remember he said, this is love, not that we first loved God, but that he loved us. So what he's saying there, in other words, is, listen, before you knew God, God was for you. I say that again. Before you knew God, God was already for you. Think about that for a second. That's good news. Listen, before you ever even had any inkling about God or any inclination to know God, he was already there and saying, I'm already for you. I'm for you. Before you ever even walked through the doors of a church, before you ever walked through this church, God was for you. He was actually already always for you. Now listen to this. Before, before you messed up, God was for you. Now listen to this. While you were messing up, God is for you. After you made a mess of it all, God was still for you. You, this is who God is. He is a God who is for. Before you ever even tried to make it up to God, God was for you. Listen, before you even woke up today, God was already for you. Is that good news or what? That you didn't have to get dressed up, but I'm glad you did. You didn't have to kind of put on any airs. You didn't have to pretend because God said, listen, before you even take your first breath today, I love you and I'm for you. And you will never know the depths to which I love you, but I've demonstrated it to you through my son. God is for you, do you know that? Do you believe that he is actually for you? If you do, then I have a simple question for you, one to wrestle with. If you believe that God is for you, then the question really that you have to consider and I have to consider is, what would you do if you knew God was for you? Like, what would you do differently if you knew God was actually for you? How might that change or shift your perspective on God, on yourself, on the world, on the things that surround you? What would you do if you actually knew God was for you? How would that change something in your life? How would that change? Think about just for a second about the, the fears or maybe anxieties, the worries that you have swirling around in your life right now. We all have them. It won't take you that long to think about them because you think about them all the time. How might it reframe the way you are afraid, your fears, your anxieties, the things that are beyond your control that you so desperately want to get control of? How might it change how you look at those and approach those if you knew God was for you? And as the Bible says, if God is for you, then who can come against you? What can separate you from the love of God if the God of the universe who created it all is already for you? Might that reframe some of your fear, worry, and anxiety. What about your future? So uncertain. Don't know what's going to happen. Don't know if you're supposed to stay in Chicago. Don't know if you're supposed to move to the Burbs. Don't know if you're supposed to take this job. Don't know if you're supposed to ask her to marry you. And so you can get all freaked out. Oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know. God's out there somewhere. I don't know what God thinks. What does God think? Oh, he doesn't mess with all that. Well, what if you knew as you thought about your future and what was to happen next, that the God of the universe who holds time in his hand holds you in the other hand. And he says, I'm for you. And there's nothing about your future that freaks me out. In fact, I want you to walk into it with me. So today, will you take the next step? Because I'm for you. And if I'm for you, what could possibly separate you from my love? What could possibly happen in your future that would ever separate you from the God who is for 
you. Can you imagine how that might just reframe some things? I mean, this is a fundamental shift. What would you do if you knew God was for you? Think about even just the stuff in your life, your resources, your home, your car, your stuff. You go, wait a second, wait a second. What if I believe that this was all a good gift from a good God? It's from him. He's for me. What then maybe might I want to do with these things that's bigger than me? How might that reframe or reprioritize the stuff that I cling to and hold on to? Because I thought I had to hold on to it for me. But now I hear and I know and I believe that the God of the universe is for me. And he's inviting me into things that are actually bigger than me. What would you do if you knew that God was for you? This is a question we've been wrestling with as a church. What, if we, what would we do as a church if we really genuinely believe, no, God's for everyone. God's for the people who think they have it all together. God's for the people who know that they don't. God's for every single person who's ever walked in these doors and the millions of folks in the city who haven't yet, may never. It, what if we actually believe God is for them? What if we believe that God is for the folks that our culture overlooks? What if we believe that God is for the folks that Christian culture says God is against? What if we actually were a church that was for? What might that look like and feel like? Well, we've gotten a glimpse and a taste of that because as we live in that tension and wrestle with that, we see God bringing more and more and more people to our church. And the truth is, is we are positioning ourselves to be a church that is for God and for others. The truth is we keep running out of room. Sound like a broken record. We've knocked down every wall we can knock down legally <laughs> and others. And so here's the deal. We have to ask ourselves and live in that tension. How do we make ourselves, how do we be a church that is for others, that makes room for everyone, where everyone is accepted and everyone is actually expected to grow? But we got a real problem here, friends. We're running out of room. I want you just to look around you right now, here or if it overflow. I mean, there's not a lot of seats left. Two Sundays ago, we had an overflow for our overflow space, which just a word to those of you in overflow. Good to see you, glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Please stay. We are out of room upstairs in our Soul City Kids space. I love our Soul City Kids volunteers. They do an amazing job with a lot of littles in that space, loving and leading them into a transforming relationship with Jesus. Listen, we're out of space throughout the week when our small groups gather, when our recovery groups gather, our A group gathers. We keep bumping into each other, and it's exciting, but it's also a little frustrating that there's so many folks gathering here in this church, connecting to God and connecting to each other. We are simply running out of room as a church. In fact, you may not know this, but since we began almost five years ago, our church has grown by 400%. That is amazing. Dr. Frank, I see those hands. Listen, it's not normal. It's not, is that normal? I don't know, because I've never been a part of something like this before. I love what God's doing in our church, because he's saying, okay, let's really do it. Let's be a church that is for. And so in an act of faith and vision, as we were looking at what God was doing, how God was bringing folks to our church, a couple years back, we reached out to some folks who love God, love this church, love this city, because there's an opportunity to secure some land right next to our building. We own the, this space that we live in, which is another special part of our story that God has provided. But there was some space made available, and it was about to be bought up to be developed in the condos. And so we went to these folks and said, look, can you help us? Can you hold us? I want to show you a picture of the land as it was a couple years ago. I want you to really look at this picture because I don't know if you can see past this fence. There's nothing there. Since we took this picture about a year and a half ago, 
there have built up the entire rest of the block. And they've built it up with condos that every single unit has sold and filled. I mean, so it's already happening. So we ask God, would you hold, would you help us hold this land until we're ready? And these folks, which we literally can call angel investors, actually bought and secured the land for us and are, have been holding it in faith like, like a spiritual layaway program, you know? It's like, till we're ready, you know, till we're ready. And they've been saying, waiting, planning, look, God, we know that we are planning, we are praying, we are waiting for the time to come. And I want to tell you, friends, that time is now. And we are so excited. I can't hold this surprise in any longer. We are ready to begin a transformational faith-raising journey that I believe is going to change the trajectory of this church and the trajectory of your life. We are about to step into some exciting times as a church. As we seek to, to build on that space and to renovate this space to make it a true seven-day-a-week transformational ministry center to truly be a gift to this city and to spread the love of God as far and wide as possible to open our doors to as many people as God would allow. And so here's some really fun stuff. There's some things I would love to show you and share with you that we've been working on for a while. People way, way smarter than us have been leading with us through this, and I am so excited to show you what it's going to look like. Would you like to see where we're going next as a church? All right, so I want to show you what the uh, kind of the streetscape of our new space will look like. And what the first thing you notice is the paint on the brick actually matches. Uh, that's a big upgrade for us because we have about three colors out there right now. And this is our existing space that you can kind of see on the west side of this property. And then from the reclaimed wood all the way over is going to be our new uh, space that we're going to build on that dirt of the picture that I just showed you there. And it is an incredible space that will honestly truly be open to anyone and everyone, where everyone's accepted and everyone's expected to grow. And one of the things I love about the plan is that it really is an open uh, plan. I want to show you a picture of our cafe and our lobby space isn't that cool? Where you get to see folks just, it's literally, I don't know if you can see this. These are garage doors that are open out to the sidewalk so that for the six weeks out of the year that we can have those open, they will be open. And I just, I love, because that is what we want to be, a church of open doors where anyone and everyone is always, always, always welcome. And it's, listen, it's not just drawings and ideas. It's, it's people. It's my neighbor, Sia. She texted us last Tuesday when Jean and I were in a meeting, and she, I get this text pop up. She says, Pastor, is there any way that I can come over to the church and have a little sacred space to pray? I'm with a friend, and she's really hurting. We just need to know if the church is open. And I was thrilled to be able to say, yes, 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 come over, it's open. Here's the crazy thing. She came in, went to our prayer hall, spent about an hour praying, and left. I never even saw her. But we had a space for her. That's what we get to build, a space that's open and available seven days a week to our community. I want to show you our kids' space, which is so fun and exciting. It's going to be a creative and imaginative and bright space where kids can learn and grow in the love of God, a space, honestly, that you're probably going to want to hang out with more than here. It is an amazing creative space and it's a space, again, where anyone and everyone's welcome. I think of a woman, I just bumped into this last week at a coffee shop. Uh, from the, she's the, the Ogren clan. There's this family that came to our kids' camp a while back, and her kids loved our summer camp that we do in our space. They love the space. And so they dragged their parents to church, and they now are a part of our church home and our church family because there was a space for their kids. Isn't that awesome? I want to show you just another just 
few pictures. Uh, the next is a space that we're going to create that represents a lot of spaces, a little rooftop space. How awesome is that in the city of Chicago? And by my measurements, it's, it's just big enough for a hot tub, but um, I'm not saying we're going to build one, but by faith, I want to believe that a hot tub is possible. God is for that. Um, I love this because you can see the openness of downstairs. You can see the openness of this. You can see it even in the upper lobby space that we're going to have for our folks. It's, it's really all a bunch of little spaces to connect, which is all what we really want, isn't it? Just a little space where we can connect, where we can see each other, where we can be seen, where it's space for groups to gather, significantly more space for our groups to gather, our recovery groups to gather, where people can have little nooks, little coves to truly meet with God and to meet with each other. I think of a buddy of mine who's a part of our AA group here at the church. He loves Sunday, and he's always very kind and encouraging to me about my part that I play on Sunday. But you know when this church feels like his church the most? On Monday nights, when his group gathers, there's a space for him. Can you imagine if we could make more and more and more space for more and more folks to find hope and healing and recovery like my friend is? I want to show you one last space, and it's our auditorium space, the space that we gather on Sundays. And I love, love this design. It was actually designed by an architect that goes to our church. He's been a part of our church the last couple of years, Tim Swanson. He has developed a space that captures all of who we are as a church and makes more room for more people to experience the love of God. I want to show you what our new auditorium space is going to look like. Isn't that awesome? And it's a fully flexible, multifunctional space where it's literally, if you've ever been to House of Blues, you know how it's kind of those balconies go all the way to the stage where we're all kind of in it together, kind of like this. <laughs> That's what he designed. And what I love about the space, I don't know how he did this. He is a architectural wizard. I don't know how he did it. But he gave us exceedingly more capacity while maintaining the intimacy. In fact, in this new auditorium, we'll be able to seat over 800 people at a time. Isn't that awesome? But we didn't want to build a room so big that you lost touch of everyone. Because I know it bugs you when you're leaving the lobby and you bump into folks and you can't hear anyone because there's so many people. We love that. <laughs> because that means we're all kind of in each other's business and in each other's space. And we don't want to lose that as we worship God together. We want to be able to see each other as we see and hear from God together. I love this. Oh, and there's one more thing. There will be parking. Yes. Four spots. Four <laughs> amazing spots. So you're going to want to go to the 830 gathering is pretty much what I'm saying. No, we're excited to be able to have over 50,000 square feet of ministry space. Not only are we, are we going to build this new space, we're actually going to renovate, like I said, this space so that we really truly can get every possible redemptive inch out of what God has given us. Now listen, listen to me. This is not just about drawings and all that stuff. This is nothing less than a faith-raising adventure. That's what our whole hope and desire is, that this would be a faith-raising adventure for every single one of us. Because of all the numbers and all the stuff I could share with you and tell you about, there's one number that I really, really, really want you to get. And that number is 100%. Because we are asking God for 100% participation in our church. That means everyone. That means all of us, or as much as it pertains to you, it means you. 
All of us have a part to play in what God's doing here. We are asking God for a hundred, 100% participation in what God is doing here. We all have a part to play, thank God. And I want to let you know that oh, all of us get engaged and all of us get involved. The total project is going to cost us $7 million to build. And that is actually an amazing number given this city and how much it costs to build buildings. And we have really smart people that are connecting us to amazing resources to be able to keep this thing on budget. And they've even left some room in the budget that requires you and I to pick up a hammer and nail and some paintbrushes because that's how this church started. It was built by us for everyone. And we don't want to miss that in this. So it's cost us $7 million. And then we're asking folks to make a two-year financial commitment to building this. We want to pay for the whole thing and we want us to be able to do it. So we're talking about a two-year financial commitment that we're making to this space, this ministry transformation center. So I want to just make sure that you kind of get that very, very important stuff. 100% participation is really what it's all about. Because at the end of the day, this is not about brick and mortar. This is not about dollars and cents. All that stuff will fade away. This is about hearts and souls. This is about you and me allowing God to work something in us and through us because he is for us. That's what this is about. This is a faith-raising adventure because bricks and mortar and dollars and cents don't make a church. You are who make the church the church. We are who make the church the church. And we all get to be a part of something that God is doing in our lifetime. So this weekend, we're actually kicking off a 21-day prayer journey together. We're going to be praying and seeking God like never before in our church, asking God. We want God to make room. We want to make room in our own lives for God to move. And we want each of you to really take this process seriously and to give yourself to it, to a faith journey that I believe honestly will transform who you are. Because something happens when people of faith gather together and conspire together and give sacrificially and selflessly out of themselves. I'm telling you, a miraculous movement happens that cannot be explained. And that's what we want for our church, something to happen through us for this city that we've never experienced before. And so to do that, for the next 21 days, we're going about three simple things. We're asking everyone to ask, to believe, and to commit. Ask, believe, and commit. So let's just start with what that means to ask. It means to ask God to remind you of how good and faithful he is. Let's start there. Can we start there together? Ask God, God, show me, remind me. I may have forgotten. I may have lost it along the way. You were a good, good father. You've brought me this far. You won't fail me now. Ask God to remind you of how he's provided for you. And then ask God where he's leading you. Ask God, God, where are you leading me to give? What kind of two-year financial commitment are you actually leading me personally? I'm not worried about her. I'm not worried about him. God, what are you leading? I'm asking you to lead me, God, because I believe that you are not only good, but that you are for me in this process. And so we're asking you to ask God to help you give above and beyond your regular giving. Many folks give regularly here to this church. We're asking you to give 
sacrificially on top of that. And for some of you, you've wanted to give before, you've meant to give before, you've tried giving before, but you didn't stick with it. Our prayer is that this would become a new habit, a new pattern of transformation for you, where because of this, you would begin to give to God like never before in your life. And you would start that. And it all became possible because of this process. So we're asking God, we're asking God a simple prayer, like, God, I'm asking you to lead me to how you want me to give. I'm asking you to lead me to how you want me to give. So we're going to ask, and then we're going to believe that God actually will. We're going to believe that God will provide. We're going to believe in faith that God is going to grow you. We're going to believe that God is capable of doing this, that this is actually possible because of him through us. To pray a simple prayer like, God, I believe that you are faithful and that you are actually leading me. God, I believe that you are faithful and that you are actually the one leading me. And then we're going to commit. We're going to commit together. We want to commit to God. Now listen, I want you to hear this. You're not making a commitment to a campaign. You're not making a commitment to this church. Your commitment ultimately is to God. God, I commit to following through what you led me to. God, I commit to following through what you led me to. And I just want to say a word as one of your pastors here. I'm asking you to really actually go all in with this one. To not undersell God's faithfulness. To not undercut your faith. To really actually commit. Now listen, that word gives some of you the shivers. That word freaks you. You're afraid of a two-year phone contract. Right? I get it. You'd rather have a month-to-month lease set up. I get it. But I believe God actually wants to grow you into something deeper and bigger than that. And it starts by you doing what only you can do. You commit. God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to see it all the way through. The whole two years, I'm going to see it all the way through. God, I commit to you to giving what you lead me to, believing, God, that you will be committed to me. It's a simple prayer like, God, I commit myself to giving all, my all, all of who I am to you. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask and we're going to believe and we're going to commit. Now, Jeannie and I have known about this for a while. We've been praying and planning and getting ready for this. And as your pastors, we thought we should be the ones to go first. And so we began this process a while back, earlier this year. And we did it. We asked God. We believed that he would lead us. And we made a commitment to God to give a number that, if I'm being honest with you, freaked me out. To give more than we had ever given before. I've never ever in my lifetime given like this before. But both Gene and I had a sense. It's really clear. We got to the number. I don't know how all the math's going to work, but we do have the end number of what we're going to give. And here's how I know that God led us to giving more than we've ever given before. Here's how I know that God led us. Because it simultaneously thrilled me and freaked me out. That it got me excited and pumping my fist and then falling to my knees going, oh God, oh God, ow, ow. Oh, please. That's how I know God's in it. Because it's all of that. And it is already stretching and growing us. As we kind of look ahead and going, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but we'll be faithful, God. We want to be faithful. We want to be faithful. And what's so fun, what we could not have predicted on that day is that at today, the start of this faith-raising journey together, we're actually able to put our first down payment on our two-year commitment today. So, yeah. So... Every time we do, though, you need to walk behind us and go, woo, every time we do that, just a reminder. And for everyone in this church, actually, that's your new job, because that's actually what it really comes down to. 
is us saying, no, God, we're gonna commit, we're gonna follow through with you. And I'm telling you, it's already stretching and growing us significantly. But that's what we want for you. It's what I want for us. That's what God wants. It's that you would be transformed through this process. So I wanna remind you again, before we close, just of what we're talking about. We are asking God, we're asking God for 100% participation in our church. Everyone. Right now upstairs, Soul City Kids, all the kids upstairs, they're learning about all this too. And they're gonna go home with packets today that help them pray through how they get to be a part of what God's doing. We don't want anyone to miss out on this. We are believing that God is actually going to provide through you, that through your gifts and generosity, we are believing $7 million is possible. Again, that's just a number to God. That doesn't get God stressed out and freaked out. The thing that God cares more, it's not that number. What God cares about is your heart and soul and that you would grow because of this process. And then we're gonna commit to two years together. We're gonna commit to it. We're gonna see this thing through together and we're gonna experience growth like we've never experienced before, personally and as a church. And to help you do that, because today the gun is fired and we have begun, we've actually created a great little resource for you. It's a 21-day prayer journey. It's free and available to everyone. And here's what I love about it. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's so cool. And it's done by volunteers here in our church. It's really cool to kind of read through this and just see folks who are part of this church, write reflections, have passages for you to study, space for you to reflect on that, because we want to do everything we can do to help you, to equip you, and to pray for you into this prayer process. So for the next 21 days, each day, we're all going to be going through one of these together. And again, this is free and available to you when you leave today. All of it is about helping us listen to God and to trust and to follow Him. And on October 4th, when these 21 days are up, on October 4th, we're going to gather together here as a church for what we're calling Commitment Sunday, where we're going to bring what we're given to God. We're going to bring our commitment to God. We're going to lay it all out. We're going to do the work to ask, to believe, to commit. And then we're going to show up on October 4th to party, to celebrate God's faithfulness. And I don't want you to miss it. I'm telling you now, way in advance, you're going to want to be here on October 4th. And we want you to come ready to say, God, this is what you've led me to, 100% participation. Now listen, this is really important for our church, but it really comes down to the simple question we started with. What would you do if you knew God was for you? What would you do if you knew God was for you? How would you ask God, how would you actually ask God more prayerfully? Not just, oh yeah, yeah, I'll figure it out, I'll figure it out on October 4th on the ride over there. No, how would you ask more prayerfully If you knew God was already for you, how would you believe more passionately that this is possible because of God? How would you believe more passionately because God is actually already for you and he's for his church? How would you commit more purposefully? God, I'm not just gonna leave it all kind of at the line of intentions. I'm gonna commit to you because I believe that you are up to something and you're involving me. You're inviting me to be a part of it. What would you do if you knew God was for you? This last week as I was leaving work and packed up all my things, coming down the stairs to go pick our kids up from school, there was a woman who had made her way into our lobby and she was literally out loud asking for help. She was calling out for help. And so I heard her and made my way over to her and she was clearly in a tough spot. And she shared that she needed help. She had suffered abuse recently and my hunch is that there's some more of that in her past and she had a bunch of papers and things with her and she kind of spilled them all out all over the lobby and 
I helped her clean him up. And in my heart, I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta get my kids from school. But God, no, I know I'm supposed to be here. And God, this woman walked in these doors for a reason right now. She walked in these doors because she thought we were a church. Because she needed us to be a church. She needed this to be a place where she couldn't figure it out. At least here she could find hope. At least here she could find maybe some healing. At least here maybe she could find a next step. And I tried the best I could to help her and to hear a little bit of her story and try and offer next steps to her. And so I kind of walked her out and kind of got her going to the next place that she needed to go. And then I turned around and walked to the kids' school. And as I was crossing the street, I had an ache in the pit of my soul. That while I, I believe, I, while I did the best I could in that moment, there was a part of me that felt like I failed her because she needed us to be the church for her. And all I offered her was some other place to go. I don't want to be that kind of church. I don't think you'd be here if that's what you wanted. We want to be the kind of church where our doors are always open to the most vulnerable, to victims, to the hurt, to the wounded, to the weak, to the overlooked, to the oppressed to those who are single, to those who are married, to those who have kids, every single person, regardless of your background, regardless of your story, we want to be the kind of church where our doors are always open and where we can say, come on in, we are here for you. We are here for you. We have made room for you. And that's the crazy thing. If someone did that for you, you wouldn't be here if they hadn't. So we get to do that for others now. We get to make room for God to move. We get to make room for us to actually be the church that this city so desperately needs us to be so that we can not only prevail, but we can shine brightly against the darkness of this world. So that's what we get to be a part of. And I can't think of a more perfect picture for us as we kick off this 21-day faith-raising journey. And I can't think of a better place for us to start than what we're about to experience together right now. In a moment, we're gonna be dismissed and set up to the tables here in the front and the back in our overflow space as well to receive the communion elements. We're gonna participate in a sacrament that's 2,000 years old. that has been at the core of the church since before the church even began. We're gonna come and receive the, the bread, which represents Jesus taught his disciples. This represents my body broken for you. And we're going to receive the cup, which represents the blood of Jesus, where he said, this is my blood, the only perfect and pure blood to ever flow through human veins, and it's poured out fully and freely for you. We're going to experience those together because they are the proof of just how much God is for you. That's what 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says. This is the atoning sacrifice that God made for you and for me, his body and his blood. What more could God give? And as you come forward, I want to let you know the asking begins now. As you come to the table, God, you ask God, how might you lead me? God, how have you been faithful? God, how might you be involved and inviting me into something way bigger than me? And as you receive those elements, you tear a piece of the bread off, you dip it in the cup, let that be a reminder to you that God is already always for you. And that's all the proof that we need. So I want to pray for us and I want to invite you as our volunteers come. They're going to come and dismiss you to go forward and backwards, but I want to pray for us before we do and then we'll respond to Jesus together. 
Thank you, Jesus, that we get to be a part of something exciting. God, I know there are churches all over the country that are dying, that are falling apart, that people are leaving in droves. And God, we pray for those churches. God, we pray for revival in those churches. But God, we thank you that we are experiencing it in this church, that you are growing this church, and that you're inviting us, God, to make more room for you to move yet again. And God, I am very aware that this is the biggest thing we've ever walked into as a church, and yet I couldn't be more excited and I couldn't be more aware of my dependence on you. So God, I sit in, I rest in the fact that you are already for us. You're already for your church. And that God, you're for every single one of us experiencing and expressing your love to this world. So thank you, Jesus, that you demonstrated just how much you were for us. Thank you for your body and your blood. Thank you for these little reminders that help center our hearts on you and give us a place to begin from, that you are for us. And if you are for us, then nothing can stand against us or between your love from our lives. So help us as we come to you now to begin to ask, to begin to trust and to believe and to commit ourselves to you because you are a good, good father. Help us to know that over these next few moments, we pray.